Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. So church, we're still making our way through James. We're nearly there. I know we've been at it for a while. And today's a fairly short little section. We're just finishing off the last little part of James chapter 4. And it's an interesting little section because he's, um, he's addressing, I guess, our perspective on life and our perspective on what we do with our lives. And so I guess, you know, in our day and age, we talk about, you know, what we do is our, our business or our job. And, you know, obviously of late, you know, money and things like that has obviously been a bit of a key topic, you know, particularly because, you know, rising costs. And um, if anyone does sort of follow economy and economics a bit, you know, the, the, the talk of recession and things like that, um, I, I definitely don't consider myself an um, economist. I, I don't, I've got a very basic understanding. I hear, I hear these things in the news and I sort of go, okay, I'm not sure exactly how that plays out um, in, in the practical world, but um, obviously the people that do understand it, they, they share their, their opinions on it. But in my limited knowledge, I do know that when they start to talk about recession, it usually equals tough times. Um, you know, when, you, when you look up the meaning of it, a recession is, a, is sustained negative growth in, in an economy. So instead of economies moving towards positiveness and increasing in, in value and things like that, there's, there's negative turn. And you know, mathematically, we can sort of make sense of that a little bit, can't we? Even, even with basic understanding, we know that numbers can go up and numbers can go down. But... What I want to sort of reflect on a little bit today is, you know, what does a spiritual recession look like? What does it mean? What is it? What are we talking about if we're talking about negative spiritual growth? Is there such a thing? Because the fact is, when we talk about the spirit, we're, we're talking about life. And when, when you're talking about life, we don't really talk about negative growth in life, do we? We don't really use that term. Because you're either growing or you're not. And if you're not growing, then you're, you're going stagnant or you're dying. You know, we use, you know, we don't use that term of negative growth, but we do use terms of, you know, being sick or malnourished or deformed or dying. And when you look at Scripture, it doesn't talk about our spirit and our development as, as, as believers as something that we, we grow to a point and then we're, we're done. And it's just a, a plateau from there or a sustained point or, a, or this point of achievement. It talks about this ongoing journey of growth. And so scripture doesn't talk about, and, and when it does, it actually speaks quite harshly about it, that if we ever sort of get to a, a middle ground or, or a plateau, that we're actually fooling ourselves because that's not growth. Growth, the word growth speaks about increase. It speaks about Development, it speaks about more life, new life. And so if we're not growing, then we're obviously starting to move back. And I don't know about you, but I, 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 I can relate to that in my own journey. I've had moments in my, in my spiritual development where, yeah, it's, it's gone, gone up and it, it's, it's grown. There's been moments where I've just, I've, I've slacked off. I've, I've let myself slip. I've whatever. And it's never this thing of just going, oh, yeah, I'm just cruising. No, it's, it's an up and down. It does mirror, you know, a, a spiritual journey does mirror the, the life journey in that sense. 
you know, we speak about life, sometimes it gets to a point where it's sort of just, just cruising along. But even in that, it's got its variances, doesn't it? So what James is sort of addressing here in, 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 at the end of chapter 4, he speaks about economics and business and, and, and money, but he's actually more relating to our spiritual development. And the reason why I use this word recession, because he's sort of saying, no, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we actually don't start to head in the other way instead of heading the way that God intends us to go, which is to grow. God wants us to flourish. God wants us to, to, to deepen our relationship with him and, and expand it and increase it and, and you know, see the vitality in the life that's available in, in relationship with him. So a little statement I want to read is that the roots of spiritual recession are the same as the roots of an economic recession. According to James 4, 13 to 17, which we're going to turn to in a second, the roots of recession are threefold. It's based in foolish presumptions, forgotten perspectives, and forsaken priorities. And the more I sort of dwell on this, as I said, I've been working off a, a bit of a guide for this, this series. When I read those, I sort of thought, no, that, that does actually paint a pretty clear picture, even, to, again, to my, my, my limited understanding of economics. Society sort of gets to a point where they're presuming, oh, no, it's all good, it's all right, we can keep spending money the way we have, we can keep upping prices the way we have, but the fact is that it's a presumption. And sadly, there's things that are coming out of our world and coming out of our society that's putting spenders in the works and those presumptions are falling flat. And so people's perspectives are getting challenged. They're realising, oh, well, maybe I can't just have endless money. Maybe I can't just you know, keep buying and keep buying and keep investing and keep investing. People's perspectives are having to shift. And because their perspectives are shifting, they're realising their priorities might have to shift as well. And that's exactly what James is sort of addressing here. So let's just read it. It's just that last little bit. So verses 13 to 17. He says, look here. You who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Now look at verse 13. He's describing a person with a presumption. He's sort of saying, oh, yep, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to go here, do this business, make some money, and that's my life. That's my journey. And the fact is, I think we could all relate to that. You know, like we, we are designed to be creative. We're designed to... to to plan and, and have vision. You know, the animal kingdom is built on instinct. It's built on survival. You know, animals go about purely just to find that next meal, to live that little bit longer. But humanity, humanity is given dreams and aspirations. And it is a God-given gift. It's a God-given, it's part of our God-given nature. But the problem when we take God out of the picture, it turns into materialism. It turns into you know, people focusing on wealth as their only concern, being motivated by money and greed. And what this man is saying isn't inherently wrong. But if it's not 
including God in the factor, like this, the following verse, what James is sort of saying, now come on. What's good making a plan for a year's time when you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow? So he's describing a person that even though they might acknowledge God, the notes I was reading sort of said, you know, he's living a life as a practical atheist because he's making plans with no consideration of God. He's the epitome of, you know, I can do it on my own. I'll do it my way. Oh, good Chris. Yeah. I can do it my way. But the fact is, you know, when we do have that right perspective, we know that our days are limited. Our days are numbered. Yeah, Matthew 6, 27 says, you know, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And in Job 14, 5, it says, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits that he cannot exceed. So this person, this whoever this person James is addressing, and I think he's just addressing a, a type, I guess you could say. And the fact is you could fit you know, materialism and, and even the Western society to a point in that. Just to say, no, nah, come on. Because we're making presumptions of when, you know, today or tomorrow, presumptions of where, I'll go to this city. Presumptions of what? I'll carry on business. You know, how do we know that? And the why? To make money. You know, in our spiritual growth, we can make presumptions. We can presume that, oh, no, as long as I just sort of show up to church and just do my thing, then I'll, I'll just tick along and grow in God. Yeah, maybe. There's also a presumption that, you know, that we're, we're in control of it. The same way we feel that we can be, feel that we've got control over our lives. In a sense, we actually don't have control over our spiritual growth. In that, there's nothing we can do to make it happen. It's in our surrender to God. It's in our realization that all that we need and all that, all that's vital for us, all that's essential for us, is found in God. If He doesn't, if He doesn't provide it. We don't have it. It's that simple. So it's not something that we can do on our own. It's only through complete reliance on God that we've got access to the resources to grow. There, there is a two-way thing in that, yes. It's not just automatic that we sit here and God, you do it all. No, it's us responding to what he's provided. But it's not something we can do on our own. We need to realize that our growth is a response to the work already done by Christ. It's not automatic. We have to walk out our response, but it's God who provides what we need to grow. And that verse 14. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog or a vapor. I think in the NIV it speaks about vapor. Yeah? That, that word image is used a number of times in Scripture to describe humanity. The fact that our life in the scope of eternity is a blink in the eye. Like I like I like that that terminology that the NIV uses, where it's where it describes it as a, as a vapor. You know, like like fog. I, I lived you know seventeen years in Kuma. We had fog that would stick around all day. Sometimes <laughs> you'd get maybe an hour of sunlight before it rolled back in again in the afternoon. But vapor, this idea of just this, this aspiration of, of moisture in the air, 
You know, I don't know if anyone's got those um, little humidifiers or something like that in your house and you see the little squirt. When I've seen those, it, it makes me think of these verses. You know, it's just like this, this puff of something, but then it's gone. In the eyes of God, that's our life. And not that it's unimportant. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying about getting right perspective. So the first point we were talking about was making those presumptions. We've got to make sure we don't have false presumptions there. But we've also got to make sure that we have right perspective. You know, he asks the question, what is your life? What is your life but a vapour? As I said, you know, yes, we can make plans. But in reality, it really is day to day. You know, that, that chapter in Matthew where he's talking about worry, he finishes with the point. You know, this is verse 34 in Matthew 6. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And what James is sort of saying, you know, like there's, there is a certainty in this life. There's a certainty that life will end. There's a certainty that this is finite. You know, there's that old saying that, you know, there's only two certainties in life, taxes and death. But I think sometimes we get fooled into this idea, oh, it's all good, I'll just keep going and you know, I'll, I'll get to those things later. We can have the same attitudes towards our spiritual growth. It's like, oh, yeah, no, it's all good. I'm, I'm good, I, I don't need God at the moment. I've, I've, I've journeyed and talked to people many times that have had that idea. So like, oh, I don't need God at the moment. I think that maybe, maybe they'll turn to God when they're, when, they're, when they're on their deathbed or they'll turn to God when it's... You know, when they're desperately in need. But sometimes that's, in a sense, too late. Some people don't get that opportunity. And I wonder, I've often heard it said, there's that passage in Revelations that speaks about that at the end, Jesus will wipe away every tear. And I sometimes wonder whether they're, they're not necessarily tears of, of, um, of shame, because it says our sins are forgiven. And I think once we hit heaven, we're going to realise, yeah, that's been dealt with. But I think some of the tears we might be shedding in heaven are those tears of, of lost opportunity, that this side of eternity, we, we could have just had so much more of God. We could have had such a deeper relationship with Him. We could have just gone and journeyed so much further in our relationship with Him. That we missed opportunities to actually be His hands and feet to those around us. But when we have right perspective, we try to make the most of those. When we realise that, you know, I'm here today, but I could be gone tomorrow. So I'm going to make the most of it today. I'm going to show people as much as I can the love of Christ. I'm going to, you know, do what I can to just you know, acknowledge God and give Him praise and give Him honour. So we've got to make sure we don't have presumptions that are going to get us in trouble. Let's make sure we have right perspectives. But hopefully that helps us shape our priorities. Yeah, 15 to 17, I'm just going to read it one more time. What you ought to say is, so James, you know, he sort of says, yeah, this is what people get trapped in. They get trapped in thinking this way and saying these things. But this is what you should say. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Tell you what, it's a, for me personally, I find that such a reassuring prayer. You know, we mean prudence, we're, we're talking about plans and, and making plans and talking about you know, where things might be going for us as a, as a couple or as a family. We make those plans. 
But we land at God's feet and we say, Lord, if you're willing, if it's your will. And it's almost like we're sort of handing those things over. We're laying them at the foot of the cross before Jesus, sort of saying, God, this is what we desire. This is, this is what's upon our hearts. This is what we feel you might be leading us in. But we don't, we don't want to take the reins. We want you to take the reins. We lay it before you and say, Lord, if you will, so be it. And there's such an assurance in that. There's such a, a confidence we can have in that. Yeah? Because if we do anything else than that, it's boasting in our own energy. It's boasting in, in what we can do. And James is pretty clear. He goes, yeah, that sort of boasting is evil. He's sort of saying, no, it, it, just, it just leads down the wrong path, takes you the wrong way. And this last statement, I find it quite, quite a challenge. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. You know, he's not describing a, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not, in that sense. He's not, he's not just saying, saying, well, make sure you tick these boxes. He's sort of saying, no, if you know you should be doing something and you don't, you're sinning against yourself, you're sinning against God. That's a challenge. It really is. Because I'll tell you what, I've had moments in my life where I've just had that inkling, I've had that, that stirring of the Spirit without quite realising what, what it was. You know, an opportunity to speak to someone or say that specific thing to someone, and I was just like, oh, not sure. I've held back. And the moment that opportunity's passed, it's like, oh. I don't know if you, any one of you have had that, but I, I have. I've had it a number of times. And it hurts. Because you're like, oh, I really think that was God pushing me to, to do something here or say something there, and I've missed it. And I've had to go to God and ask for forgiveness because it is, it's a sin. It's, 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 it's not that it was necessarily I was breaking any Torah law, but I was missing the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I was missing that directive, that, that guiding of my God, my Lord. And so that's why having this right priority, this priority of just going, God, I'll set my plans, I'll, 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 I'll be active in my life. He wants us to be active. He wants us to be proactive. He wants us to... To, to sort of go out there and try things and do things and, you know, whether it's a business venture or whether it's a, you know, a plan to just do something different, move and you know, that sort of thing. Like me and Prince came down here when we moved from Kuma, really feeling that it was God leading us. But at the same time, it was like, God, we feel this is the push, but your will, your will be done. You know, I love the fact that that's in the Lord's Prayer as a guiding directive of how to pray. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's make sure we're not getting caught up in presumptions, presuming that you know, the world's just going to tick on as it is, because it's not. When, when, you, when you sort of pay attention to the, to the times of the season, our world's in a fair bit of turmoil. And it is, it's a, it's a pretty big presumption to sort of think things will just sort of carry on as Larry. I think things are drastically shifting. Socially, politically, all that sort of thing. There are shifts. But let's get our perspectives right, knowing that, you know, number one, God is sovereign. Over and above anything any political party or any world order would try to do, God's sovereign. 
He's going to have his way in the end. And for our brief time on this earth, let's just do what we can. So have those right priorities of going, God, your will be done. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you just for the opportunity, Lord God, to be able to to share and just to hopefully just shine some light, Lord God, that we can all just keep moving ahead in our walk with you. That we don't ever hit a point where we feel that we've gone stagnant or stale, that that we can just constantly be just taking that next step in you, that next step in, in growing closer to you. And Lord God, for anyone, Lord God, that is feeling like that, they're feeling that they're stuck, that they're feeling like they're, they're just not sure what that next step is, Lord God, I just pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit just, just floods them, Lord God. Floods them not only with direction and with that next step, Lord God, but with your presence. That we can know, Lord God, that even when we're absolutely lost, Lord God, your presence is enough. That the fact that you are with us is enough. And we can have confidence and faith in that. Lord God, help us to have those right perspectives and those right priorities. If we're off, Lord God, in any of our plannings, in any of the way that we're doing life, Lord God, help us, guide us, shape us according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.